Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings. Welcome to the SBC Daily Word for Thursday, June 24th, 2021. Today we've got a big section of Ecclesiastes to cover. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, working our way through chapter 6, verse 9. Again, this text is especially important for us to remember perhaps the historical context in which Ecclesiastes as we have it originated. So you've got these collections of Solomon's wisdom that the people of God preserved from the time of Solomon. And it seems as though a human author collected these writings and put them into their common form as we have them for the purpose of helping the people after the exile when the temple is rebuilt, when the city is restored, when wealth returns, for helping them deal with this new way of life. So that led them into a time of what we would regard as more of an economic prosperity. So what this section is devoted to is taking the words of, probably in their minds, the wealthiest Jew to ever have lived, King Solomon, tells us in the words of this collator collector, don't chase wealth. Wealth is very dangerous. And if you look back to the historical time period, that was something that God told Solomon. Don't stockpile wealth. Don't stockpile women. And don't stockpile weapons of war. That ultimately these things, and and, and women there is this um, foreign alliances. The reason Solomon had so many wives was because he um, wanted to join forces with other kings. So what God is saying to Solomon there is these are things that will compete with trusting in God, in receiving from God. So what Q, the teacher, Quahelet, is doing here in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8 to 6, 9, is telling us, don't chase wealth. It's dangerous. So let's kind of unpack this section by section, and then we'll draw some truth for our day from this text. So here's the structure of the passage. The first section is verses 8 to 12. And what there are in these verses is four Proverbs. And these four Proverbs basically all say the same thing. Wealth can never satisfy. If you see, so I'm in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and right, do not be amazed at the matter. 
For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But all things considered, this is an advantage for a land, a king for a plowed field. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much. But the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. So there's just some real proverbial wisdom here where Ecclesiastes, the teacher, tells us that oftentimes there is a connection between the rising of wealth and the rising of greed and the rising of even stress. Wealth cannot satisfy. Now, the teacher is going to reflect on these four proverbs about wealth not satisfying by telling us the reason it can't satisfy is that it cannot bring joy. Verse 13, there is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands. As they came from their mother's womb, so shall they go again. Naked as they came, they shall take nothing for their toil, which they may carry with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for, their, for the wind? Besides all their days, they eat in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and resentment. So the image here is of this person who gave themselves to amassing wealth. And then the proverbial wisdom says, if you give yourself to that experience teaches us that you will lose that and it will never bring you joy. So now verses 18 and 19 is a further reflection. So he's going to then define what's good. Verse 18. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot. So you would expect, you know, rhetorically, the author to then start to talk about, okay, so just give yourself to simplicity completely. Just take an oath of poverty and never have anything nice. That's not what he says. He says, it's okay to enjoy the good gifts of God, those things that God gives us. So there's the key. The first step in having a right relationship to possessions is understanding that they are a gift, that you did not get that by your own resources. You are not the one who is the captain of what you have. What you have is what was given to you by God. Verse 19, Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is the gift of God. So again, there it is, that ultimately what is good is that which you receive as God's gift. So now here's the conclusion, verse 20. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. In other words, those who receive their gifts as good gifts from God are set free 
to not have resentment about the past or anxiety about the future, but to receive now in the moment what God has given them. Now, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, verses 3 to 6, verses 7 to 9, he's basically going to do the same thing. He's going to define what is bad. He's going to talk about how wealth cannot bring joy. He is going to talk about how wealth cannot satisfy. So what this ancient text does is what so many other passages of Scripture have done. They have warned us about how dangerous wealth can be. That ultimately, those who move rebelliously against God usually are those who have wealth. The Apostle Paul knew this well. So we need to wonder, how can we know that we have not been ensnared, trapped, captivated by wealth? Listen to these harsh words that Paul gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who want to be rich, those who want to be rich, fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Just like it says in Ecclesiastes, riches, verse 13 of chapter 5, were kept by their owners to their hurt. That ultimately, if we hold wealth too closely, it will ultimately destroy us. So let's draw some truths now about wealth and a right relationship to it from this text. First, how do I know I'm greedy? How do I know that I have a wrong relationship to wealth, to possessions in such a way that I um, am wrongly related to those things and I am a greedy person? Verses eight and nine of chapter five reveal a wrong relationship to wealth. Those who disregard the poor reveal greed. Greed is revealed by disregard for the poor. Verse eight, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and right, do not be amazed at the matter. That ultimately greed and a wrong relationship to wealth is revealed by disregard for the poor. Secondly, something we've got to remember about wealth, that wealth has a quality that can produce greed. In other words, wealth, if we don't have the right spiritual immune system, can create in us the disease of greed. And here's what's crazy about it. It's hard to know whether or not we're being greedy. Other of the seven deadly sins, we're kind of aware if we're struggling with those, if we're struggling with violence, hate, lust, we're aware of that. But, but greed is this sinister, subtle sin. Tim Keller, in a wonderful book called Counterfeit Gods, says this. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and people around me. 
Greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. Beloved, I think what this text is calling us to is to understand the danger of wealth and understand that, that wealth is not a sign that somebody is spiritually mature. Wealth is something that we should regard as having its own unique power to tempt and to entrap. So we've got to know that wealth has a quality about it that can produce greed. Thirdly, we are given wealth for the purpose of keeping our neighbor. Look at verse 13. There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt. Why would they keep them? What is the alternative of keeping them? Giving them away. And in the context of this passage, giving them away to help the poor. Paul, again, understood this. Listen to Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing. So they used to be a thief. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that, now, how would you fill in the blank? In our culture, you need to stop stealing, get a job, do something useful so that you can, one, stop stealing, and then secondly, so you can provide for yourself. That's not where Paul goes. Paul goes on to say, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Beloved, is one of the reasons you and I work so that we can share with those in need? That is a biblical motivation for doing something useful with our hands. Beloved, these are wise things that we must consider about wealth. And we must take more seriously the sin of greed. But it's become this acceptable sin. In fact, having inordinate amount of wealth in our fallen thinking is somehow associated that somebody has been successful, been godly. But instead, we have turned it on its head. Listen to these challenging words from David Platt. So what is the difference when someone who willfully indulges in sexual pleasures while ignoring the Bible on moral purity and someone who willfully indulges in selfish pursuit of more and more material possessions while ignoring the Bible on caring for the poor? The difference is that one involves a social taboo in the church and the other involves a social norm in the church. We will not wish we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow down around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who divides in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. Beloved, I've never heard of a pastor being disqualified from ministry because he was greedy. And yet somehow that has become an acceptable vice within our American evangelical context. Beloved, Ecclesiastes 5 says, wealth can poison our souls. May instead we, in the words of God's 
word understand that we shall not proverbs 23 4 and 5 wear ourselves out to get rich do not trust your own cleverness cats cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle may the grace of god equip us to be a people who relate wisely to the wealth we have been given by God.